0: Okay, this is a case from the Heki Ganaloku, the Blue Cliff Record. Zhao Ziu's seven pound cloth shirt, the pointer. When he speaks, when he must speak, he speaks. In the whole world, there is no match for him. When he should act, he acts. His whole capacity doesn't defer to anyone. He's like sparks struck from a stone, like the brilliance of a flash of lightning, like a raging fire fanned by the wind, like a rushing torrent crossing a sword edge. When it lifts up the hammer and tongs of transcendence, you won't avoid using your point and having your tongue tied. He lets out a single continuous roar. Test, I'm citing this. Look, the case. A monk once asked Zhao Zhu, the mirrored things return to the one. Where does the one return to? Zhao Zhu said, when I was in Qingqiu, I made a cloth shirt. It weighed seven pounds. The verse. He wraps everything up and presses against the ancient old all. How many people know the weight of the seven pound shirt? Right now, I throw it down into the west lake. The pure wind of unburdening, to whom should it be important? So last Teisho. Ended with a profound quote from Rumi. And uh, it seems to have hit many waves. And a lot of people said they were deeply moved by it. So I want to begin, I want to bring it up again and begin this stage with it. My Rumi said, Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. How is it relevant to us? When we take on Zen training and and commit to it, it acts as as a flashlight and it illuminates everything. And mostly it illuminates how we create and maintain traps. How we trap ourselves as people, as society its nations and it shows us what we work very hard to try and avoid seeing you know and we very skillfully create all kinds of devices just so we don't look so we don't see And the practice, instead of promising us that we will arrive somewhere, is just doing that. It's showing us what we need to see. And when we see what we need to see and we are in agreement or, or willing to work on it, then little by little something is revealed something that has always been this way but yet seemed very hidden or has been very hidden while being revealed. An old master once said in reference to practice you have to put it on the tip of your nose so you don't lose sight of it. And this is what we do with what Rumi calls the the obstacles that we have built against it it shows us and maybe it doesn't show us maybe we need to keep reminding ourselves that we have to put it on the tip of our nose so we don't lose sight of it so we don't lie to ourselves and keep denying and keep selling and buying from ourselves to ourselves just walk around in circles So the practice raises the level of honesty, the level of uh, maybe agreement, willingness to observe, to admit, to stop lying to ourselves, to stop creating. And little by little, it actually helps us process challenges on the go, right? Because the more we can open up, the more we can stop creating, the easier it is, the easier it becomes to actually be one with what happens and to, to stop getting stuck, basically. To Stop getting stuck. So Rumi says that we have to seek and find all the barriers we have built against love. Right? Because, because he, ha- he says it because he has a profound understanding that love itself is actually an inherent aspect of our being. It's not something to invent, but it's something to recognize. It's something to unite with, to go with, and to not go against. It's the same with our practice. It's a recognition of that which has always been this way. And in that we look and we find what we create against it. Last week I mentioned uh, we talked a little bit about religion and I mentioned that Originally, religion means, or meant, to unite the divine and the human, to bring the the divine and the human to one. But even that is saying way too much because there's nothing to unite. So it's more a recognition of that which has always been this way, the divine and the human have never been separated. So language is, of course, very important because as long as, as, long as we come into to this, to this kind of work with uh, an expectation that I will at some point bring those two together, then I work very hard at trying to bring it to itself. So am I practicing correctly? Am I working on it in the right way? Because as long as this is going on in the back of our minds, then we are maintaining a gap. Knowing, okay, well, yes, the two belong together. But yet, for me, there's are still two. Because I'm still trapped. Because I'm still experiencing difficulties and challenges. Which, I think, because of that, I am trapped. O-sensei also used this term love. When I, when I read that, I, I was reminded of it. He said that Aikido is a manifestation of love since it embodies unification through motion. Expression of love. It's not the love. It's not really the, the, the emotions that this word evoke, evokes in our minds or in our hearts when we hear it. It's not a romantic kind of love, although that is included, obviously, in it. It's not a part of it. But it's it's beyond that. It's much bigger than how we feel about it. It's all-encompassing. There is nowhere it is lacking. There's not a place it's missing. No matter how we feel. You know, the, the inherent, this inherent love that Rumi is speaking of is essentially the same as what Jesus is pointing at by saying, the Father within me. Or what the Buddha pointed at by saying, I alone am the world-honored one. All these wisdom teachers only pointed at the same thing. At that which is inherent. We call it love, we call it divine, we call it God, we call it the one or one. Maybe maybe that's one of the problems that we call it something. We give it a name. And then when we give something a name we are looking at the name more than what it is. We're looking at a few letters put together that to create a sound but it really takes us away from what it is. Because then we get trapped by the sound of the word and the connotation of course or connotations that arise in our minds. this is what happens. Often practitioners focus the effort on searching, searching for what is referred to as original nature. Again, another way of calling it something. Original nature, true nature, true self. So we put that on the on the shelf as something to look for, an image of that. Frame it. Put in our pockets and walk around looking for it. And comparing. Does it fit? Is that it? Am I getting glimpses of it? How do I know? How do I know? I think this comes up in Dokistan too, especially working on Mu. You know, people often say, I don't know, I can't see it, I don't know what it is. But to say I don't know, or to say I'm not seeing it, is also relying on an assumption that I know what it is, because I know what I'm not seeing. And often we are convinced that we're not seeing it. Because we hold on to a notion of I know what it is, or I know what it's not. That can't be it. And I ask sometimes, how do you know? How can you be so sure you're not seeing it? How can you be so sure you're not experiencing and expressing it? What is that based on? So to be honest is to look deeper and deeper and deeper and to realize, I am saying it because I want comfort. I want to know I'm standing on something. And before, before I'm taking a step to the next. You know, it's like walking in a river. You know, you you're standing on a on a rock. And then. Okay, now you got to move on, step to the next rock, right? You want to make sure that this, the next rock is actually solid before you put your weight on it, so you kind of feel it out. It's like, well, I don't know if I can stand on it. But the only way to really know is to try. Give it a shot. There's no guarantee that it will support your weight. Well, actually, there is a guarantee it won't support your weight. How's that? there is that guarantee that you will not find solid ground. And this is what we're afraid of. Because deep down we know that we will not find a solid ground because there is no solid ground. So we're frozen, paralyzed, afraid to move, afraid to take a step. So back to how we practice. So we focus our efforts on searching for an image of what we think the original nature is. And there's also an assumption that its discovery is based on the intensity of the search. So I'm going to work harder and harder and harder on trying to find what I think I am looking for. But that's not going to change anything. It's not the harder I work on trying to find what I'm thinking I'm looking for, it's not going to change anything because there is an assumption that I know what I'm looking for. So other than being exhausted, it's not going to do anything. And the assumption is very misleading because there are two main reasons. First, it keeps us in a state of waiting for Satori, realization, that will come at a later time. And the second part of it is it takes the attention away from the thoughts, words, and actions that block us from experiencing the ongoing dance of our original nature. Which, as the Buddha stated clearly, is inherent in everyone. It's happening already. That perfect dance between Let's say divine and human, form and formlessness, or whatever we call it. It's happening all the time. And we not only get distracted, we actually distract ourselves in the way we practice, on the path itself. That's why we often bring up that question Am I practicing correctly? how do I know I'm practicing correctly? Well, How do I know I'm practicing incorrectly? Because again, it's the obstacles we have to look at because it's already happening. There's no need to create or become. It's another common notion. I need to become something. You know what the Buddha, Jesus, Rumi and other great wisdom teachers are saying to us that we are searching for what we are searching for is alive and well sitting, standing up walking around, blinking the eyes and what they are saying is that the search itself is made up we pack sandwiches we take everything with us we put on the backpack and off we go. Go where? On an imaginary trip to arrive at uh, the gold mine of realization. And that by itself is the source of creating obstacles. So here's a question we need to examine thoroughly. Are we practicing in accord with an understanding with an understanding or trust that the original nature is already manifesting clearly? Or are we practicing in accord with the assumption that it will appear at a later time? Because that determines how we practice. Those are two different paths altogether. We may look like a a bunch of practitioners. But are we? Or are we just deceiving ourselves in different ways? Rumi also said, that which you are seeking is seeking you quite profound. That which you are seeking is seeking you. It's strange. I mean, you know, you can see all these words, and they're all saying the same thing. They're all trying very hard to point at it from all angles. Are you seeing? Look. Here it is. Look. Oh, that's beautiful. And we go right back to same old habitual way of Thinking, talking, acting, waiting, rejecting, quantifying, analyzing, and doing all the things that prevent us from doing, from experiencing what we say we want to experience. Isn't that what Rumi means by that, by saying, instead of searching for how about looking at what we are doing to prevent it from dancing in front of us, with us so the skillfulness of Zen training lies in the ability to show us the inner workings of the creation how we create a conceptual self How we create a conceptual destination. It shows us very clearly. And at the same time, it shows us a way to bypass this conceptual self and go directly to the true expression of the source. When you recognize the false, the truth shines brightly, right? You have to look for it. Just recognize the faults. Recognize the imagined. And the real is what's left. I think it's encouraging. I don't know about you, but I always find this i always found this very encouraging to know why don't I don't have to go anywhere. This is great. I can put down the backpack. Stick around for a while. Get comfortable here. Whether it smells good or not, is besides the point, because there's always a place that smells better, looks better, tastes better. No, but this is not what he's saying. He's saying, put down the backpack, stick around, go deep, because it's happening right now. It's not asking us to wait. know during the course of training there seems to be there seems to be a notion that the formality and and the, the group adherence to tradition is designed to create uniformity, right? As if we are all doing it so we can lose the self into doing things in the same way as been done for many years in the tradition. And it definitely feels this way when you know, we go to Seshin, especially at Dai Bosatsu, because there's a lot of adherence to form, more so than what we are used to. And in that, in that, this is also offering two paths. There's a path that numbs you into following a tradition, and there's a path that wakes you up while you follow a tradition while we are all doing the same things. It actually offers a way to see, again, to see how we trap ourselves, to recognize the the voice of the narrator, and to pay no attention to it, to just let it be. So while we are seemingly doing the same things, like, sitting together, eating together, walking and kinin together, moving in unison, really, each person moves very differently. What seems to be killing the, the, the individuality is actually bringing up the unique colors of each one of us. But not to the naked eye, not to the ego, to the self. The self sees that as a threat. I don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. I want to do my own thing. Whenever I want. I want to wake up whenever I want to wake up. And I want to do whatever it is I feel like doing at any given moment. That's, that is, to me, to the self, a express, true expression of who I am. But unless we go deep, we don't know that it's not quite true. This is the false. So when we lose ourselves into doing things together, we recognize that while we are one, we are. Or the one is expressing itself very uniquely through each of us. And there's no owner to this expression. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to realize because it takes care of the work, of the maintenance, maintenance, actually, of itself. self. It's a lot of maintenance. It's, it's high maintenance. Constantly. We have to defend it, protect it. You don't have to worry about that because this is done already. This is, this is just all we are. It's an expression of timelessness. Cannot. It's, it's indestructible there's nothing to protect to celebration so we eat together jihatsu style meals we're all doing the same thing but when we really look everybody picks up the rice with the chopsticks in different ways and when you put it in your mouth everybody tastes it differently it's not the same. While it is the same, it's not the same. And while it is different, it is the same. At the same time. When we say one has many kinds, two have no duality, we're really saying the same thing twice. It's kind of redundant, but we have to be redundant because we have to hear it again and again, we have to say it again and again, so it penetrates the thick walls as Rumi said the thick walls we have created in our minds so this this naturalness this uniqueness we find that not only in in, in what the Qurans are saying or what the Qurans are telling us We also see it in the different teachers, the different styles, right? You know, and and some of you are studying, uh, are in in Koan study, and you get to, and also in in Teishos, you get to hear about the different teachers. And they were very unique. They never worried about trying to mimic their teachers because their realization was one has many kinds. Which means... I don't have to adhere to the way my teacher used to teach or to anything because I, my, my responsibility or our responsibility as teachers is to allow the, the oneness or the divine or whatever we call it to express itself in a unique way. And they were very unique in their teachings. This is one thing I always encourage you encourage us all to, to do when we study koans is to, to read to look at you know for example Ferguson's book right uh, the Chinese heritage to read the biographies of, of, of the teachers you, you're studying or the koans you're studying to read about them to see how they struggled and how over time and practice their true colors started to come out and little by little how they trusted those colors, realizing that the more they trust the uniqueness of their colors, the more they are allowing uh, the divine to express itself freely. And they were free. So this brings us to Zhaju, which among all these amazingly different teachers, he was an exception. this Joshu in Japanese. Just happened to like to say Zhao Zhu, but yes, this is Joshu. Now, briefly, uh, to those who don't know, Zhao Zhu started practicing when he was very young, he was a teenager. And he arrived at uh, Nan Kwan, his teacher, when he was, I think, about 17 years old. and he was about 18 years old, he had his first realization experience. Stayed with his teacher, Nan Quan, until Nan Kwan died. Chao Shu was 60 at that age, at that time. Then he set foot on pilgrimage. He traveled for 20 years. He thought, well, I don't, I need more time, I need more practice before I settled down to teach. And he began teaching when he was 80 years old. Lived until he was 119 years old. So almost 100 years of realized living. Awakened life. And he was an exception on on, on many levels. Back then there was a lot of Harshness in Zen practice, a lot of beating, shouting, yelling, shaking people up. And his style was very different. It was very gentle, very simple, and very deeply realized. He had a nickname, Little Buddha, Little Shakyamuni. So when he arrived, first time he arrived at uh, Nanquan to meet his teacher for the first time, Nanquan happened to be resting. He was stretched out on his back on the couch. So on seeing the young visitor, Nanquan asked, where do you come from? And Zhaozhu said, I came from Zhuijiang, which means the holy image, monastery. Monastery of the holy image. Jiaju replied. Do you still see the holy image? The teacher asked. And he said, no, I do not. I do not see the holy image. I only see the sleeping Buddha. Now, struck by the strange answer, Nang sat up and asked him, are you a free monk or are you right now studying with the teacher? Jiaju said, I am studying with the teacher. So then, he was asked, who is your teacher? Zhaozhu simply paid his respect, saying, in this winter season, the weather is so very cold. I wish your reverence good health. What a great answer. It's not yes or no. It's alive. I'm already studying with you I'm already caring for my teacher bypass stupidity formalities go directly to life itself bowing deeply can I get you some tea That's all that's needed. And from that moment on, he became a student with Nan Kwan. Later on, when he was about 18 years old, Jia asked Nan Kwan, what is the way? Nan Kwan answered, the ordinary mind is the way. Jia asked, should I direct my, myself towards it or not? Nan Kwan said, if you try to turn towards it, you go against it. Keep talking about it. Right? If we look for it, we turn away from it. Shujazhu asked, if I do not try to turn towards it, how do I know it is the way? Those are very common questions for us. Those are the questions we struggle with. And sometimes it's nice to see that those great masters were just like us, struggled with the same questions. Why do I know it's the way? Nan Nankuan answered, the way does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion. Not knowing is blank consciousness. When you have really reached the true way beyond all doubt, you will find that it is as vast as bound and boundless as the great empty sky. How can it be talked about on the level of right and wrong? How do you examine it through right and wrong, in and out, here and there, delusion or enlightenment? At these words, Zhao Zhu was suddenly enlightened. Based on that story, that was his first realization. There were many others after that. But that was where the bottom of the bucket fell out for him. Now, later on, years later, Zhu asked Nanquan, when one realizes the source, where should he go from there? Nanquan said he should go down the hill to become a buffalo in the village below. Go down the hill. Don't stay there. So he realized. Great. Good for you. Now what? Now what do I do? Where is everybody else? And besides, what is the realization about anyway? Is it not about everybody else? When you realize that the self is an illusion, the obstacles drop. The creations are no longer being created for that day, I should say. Because the next morning they are created again. But it helps to know that we shouldn't take it so seriously. So while the creations are created, we just attend to everyday affairs. And that is a big difference. We don't take it so seriously. We don't believe what we think. So after many more decades of practice and completely completely forgetting all traces of realization. And he did. He realized he was deeply amazed by it and completely forgot about it. Because as they say, if you don't forget about it, it becomes an extra thumb. What do you do with two thumbs? Gets in the way. Chop it off. So after years of practice he wrote, You know, this is the last line of a poem he wrote he said originally I intended to practice to help save others who would have suspected that instead I would become an idiot and you've heard that before who would, who would have suspected that instead of, so I had a notion of what I'm looking for, what's going to look like and what I will become And it's nothing like what it is. Because realization is nothing like what we think it is. As Mu is. It's not a hidden prize. It doesn't cure anything. Now this idiot or or, or meek as as Jesus called it, right? He said, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's just another way to say arriving at the source, realizing oneness, realizing it's always been this way. And it is simple, yet it is profound, humble, and all-encompassing. Yahshu once said, I have nothing inside and I seek for nothing outside. I have nothing inside and I seek for nothing outside. What a relief, isn't it? What a relief. To be able to live this way, day by day. Look for nothing else. Be nowhere else. you know the path is a very interesting way of revealing itself you know we begin we begin practicing with an enthusiasm and hope we will find the missing piece of the puzzle and become complete at some point right you know, my mother said i'm perfect so i have to feel this way right i just have to find that piece that completes me And that piece could be an activity, a person, a job, whatever. A house. It is something missing. Then after years of trying to look, we go up and down, right? We we feel discouraged. Then we get encouraged again. We get pumped up again. Hopefully we stick with it. And then little by little, after years of dedication and multiple encounters with the souls, it all blends in to a continuous expression, continuous, endless expression. No questions, no answers, just natural and genuine ebb and flow of everyday life. Simply being. I think this is zhu's best teachings, just the way he was. He wasn't looking for anything. I don't even think he wanted to teach. Maybe by 80 years old, he got tired from traveling. He's like, well, maybe I should settle down. And then people started to flock to him because his name got around. Okay, well, I'll teach. But he he wasn't looking for a title. He wasn't missing anything. This simplicity, you know, Lao Tzu said to realize that our knowledge is ignorance, this is a noble insight. And he said to regard our ignorance as knowledge, this is a mental disease. to realize that our knowledge is ignorance. That is true wisdom. True wisdom is, is hidden in ordinary everyday affairs, which is the natural home of sentient beings. Nothing wrong with this. nothing wrong with having a a body and a body does suffer. When we realize this and we allow this to function spontaneously the ordinary becomes extraordinary. But when ignorance is crowned it loses its spontaneity and it becomes another mental construct. Putting a head on a head. The pointer says when he speaks, when he must speak, he speaks, right? In the whole world, there is no match for him. When he should act, he acts. The whole capacity doesn't defer to anyone. His capacity, his actions, his words do not defer to anyone. the conventional way of speaking and acting is calculated, measured, quantified, compared. There's A lot of fear in how we speak, how we act. How will I sound? What will others think about me? What will I gain? What am I risking to lose by speaking? Maybe I should not say anything. Maybe I will sound like a fool. Well, he didn't mind that. He was okay being an idiot. Nothing to lose. What can you lose when you're not there? You know, Zha-Zhu was, as it is said, roaming the capital city not vested in anything. He was just walking around, drinking, eating. He was able to fit the occasion and match every situation perfectly. Realizing the empty nature of self, gain and loss become irrelevant. But what about everyday life? What about the people we care about? What about the activities we are involved in? Do you think they also become irrelevant? That would be the other path, the path of numbness. That's not what this is telling us. So this monk is asking, when all things return to the one, where does the one return to? What he really wants to know is what happens to a person after having deep realization of unity? Now, it's the same as Ziazhu asked his teacher, Nan Kwan. Nan Kwan answered, he should go down, down the hill to become a buffalo in the village below. That was Nan Kwan's way of saying it. Now, Ziazhu, in his own unique way, expressed it differently. And he said, when I was in Ching Chu, I made a cloth shirt. It weighed seven pounds. This is the same answer. But Nan is Nang Quan and Zhaozhu is Zhaozhu. They don't have to use the same language to say the same thing. It's very clear. It's very genuine very real, it's alive in the same way that he's and he had it from the beginning he had this naturalness in him and he trusted it when he came to Nankwan and it's cold, please take care of yourself teacher he didn't say, can I become your student? can you teach me? So when all things return to the One, where does the One return to? Now intellectually, you may say, when all things return to the One, the One returns to all things. Right? That's a good textbook answer. Makes sense too. Maybe not at the beginning of practice, but with some experience, when all things return to the One, the One returns to to all the things. It is what they're saying. It is what Wang Quan was saying. It is what Zhao Zhu is saying but they're not saying it in a detached way. They're living it. So they're not saying anything. They're just expressing. They're not even pointing at anything. The footnote says, Zhaozhu goes in all directions, drawing a net that fills the sky, but do you see him? Do you see him? Do we see Zhao And this is a warning, advising us to not analyze this cloth shirt and make a concept out of it. In the verse, Zredu says, How many people can there be? How many people are there who know the know the weight of this seven pound shirt? How can the unknown become known? On another occasion, a monk asked Zhao Zhu, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming to China? Zhao Zhu said, the cypress tree in the garden. Sometimes he translated as oak tree in the garden. The monk then asked, teacher, don't use an object to guide people. Zhao Zhu said, I am not using an object. Okay, so the monk asked again the same question. And Zhu said, the cypress tree in the garden. Now the monk was seeing an object, but Zhu was not using an object. In the same way that he's not using an object when he says, I made a shirt. It weighed seven pounds. But think about how the mind works. I made a shirt, it weighed seven pounds. Wow, a shirt. How many thread count did it have? Egyptian cotton? What's the point? Okay, I I got it. You made a shirt. But I want you to answer the question. That's how we think. This is how we trap ourselves. These are the obstacles well, this is the obstacle-making mechanism at work. It begins with one thought. And it never ends. So Zhu was not using object. He was just echoing the source. Because he resides in it. He speaks from it. It's the source that is expressing itself. So this cypress tree became well known, a well-known example of Zhao Zhu's style of teaching. Another monk asked him, Does this cypress tree in the garden have Buddha nature or not? Zhao Zhu said, It has. The monk asked, When will it become a Buddha? Zhao Zhu said, when the sky falls down to the ground. The monk asked again, when will the sky fall to the ground? Jajur said, when the tree becomes a Buddha. He's not playing with him. He's not trying to go around in circles. He's trying to help him. Because the sky is never falling to the ground and the tree is never becoming a Buddha. In the same way that the myriad things do not return to the one and the one does not return to the myriad things. You know, simply made a cloth shirt that weighed seven pounds. It wasn't too heavy, it wasn't too light. This simple shirt is open in all ten directions. Only if we don't get too busy analyzing it. Comparing it, asking questions about it. He's producing it right then and there. Hot, fresh, out of the oven. But do we see it? And it's amazing how this simple. Profundity takes years to cultivate. It's not so simple to be simple. Well, because we don't want to be idiots, right? Who wants to be an idiot? I think if we advertise that, nobody's going to show up. We promise you, become an idiot. It's going to take you a while though, many years. But actually Zhu himself said at some point that sweetness passes through bitterness. And I'm paraphrasing. Sweetness passes through bitterness. The sweetness of simplicity doesn't just show up. We've got to cut through a lot of bullshit that we ourselves create in order to Taste sweetness. So I want to finish with a dialogue, a short dialogue that Jaoju uh, had with a government official once. This official asked Zhu, "Will the master go to hell or not?" Zhu said, "I entered hell a long time ago." The official said, "Why did you enter hell?" when said if I did not enter hell who will teach you